Third week of Advent begins this morning, and as we've done the last couple of weeks, I want to do a, a brief reading to kind of keep our hearts and our minds focused on um, what Christmas is about and what we celebrate. The third week of Advent that begins today is focusing on redemption. This week is a focus on redemption. We talked about waiting and mystery, and this week it's redemption. And as Christmas ought to be for us a festival of Christ that we celebrate amidst a dark world, um, we can never forget that it's not a light thing that we get to celebrate this every year. It's not something we can let go by without really um, stopping and observing both the manger and the cross and the coming kingdom. And that's really what Advent is all about is arrival, and we serve a risen Savior who arrived in the manger and will arrive again as the King of Kings. And so as we go through this season, just want to encourage you guys, remind those around you with these things. And in 1933, the following was written as a part of a sermon that was preached in London in the aftermath of a mining accident that had happened in previous weeks. So this accident had been in the papers, people were really aware of it, and the following was written, and I thought this was very impactful for us. You know what a mine disaster is. In recent weeks, we've had to read about one in the newspapers. The moment even the most courageous miner has dreaded his whole life long is here. It is no use running into the walls. The silence all around him remains. The way out for him is blocked. He knows the people up there are working feverishly to reach the miners who are buried alive. Perhaps someone will be rescued, but here in the last shaft, an agonizing period of waiting and dying is all that remains. But suddenly a noise that sounds like tapping and breaking in the rock can be heard. Unexpectedly, voices cry out, Where are you? Help is on the way. Then the disheartened miner picks himself up. His heart leaps. He shouts, Here I am. Come on through and help me. I'll hold out until you come. Just come soon. A final desperate hammer blow to his ear. Now the rescue is near. Just one more step, and he is free. Here we have spoken of Advent itself. That is how it is with the coming of Christ. Look up and raise your heads. Behold, your redemption draws an eye. Let's pray together. Lord, as we celebrate redemption this week, God, I'm so thankful that we have this redemption that we can look up and know is coming soon. Lord, that we recognize that our time here is so short. And God, that we get to be with you forevermore. So give us an understanding of this time that we live in. And with that terminology used in that message, maybe we're in the last shaft. Maybe we're the final level down. Maybe, maybe this is it. God, I pray that you would give us an understanding of the gravity of our situation. And Lord, that we would be looking to you and only to you to save us. But Lord, as believers in this time, we recognize too that there is great purpose for us being here. There's a reason you've put us here at this time. And so, Lord, as much as we long for eternity to begin with you, Lord, we have a job to do. Keep us about your work. Help us to remind people day in and day out of the goodness of our Savior. Lord, that we would win so many souls to your kingdom through the power of your Spirit. Lord, we recognize that on our own we can't do any of these things, but you can empower us. So, Lord, use us for your glory, we ask in your name. Amen. Daniel chapter 9. Let's get to our study for this morning. We'll pick up in verse 11. See, I almost cried through that. <sighs> I will. I will. Thank you. All right. I'm ready. 
just, I need the Allens of the world. They're like, come on, Mike, really? Tori's, Tori's like, get in touch with your feelings. <laughs> no lack of waffling on my part today. Should I cry? Should I not? Alan will slap me. Dory will cheer me on. Whose love and affection do I want more? If you guys, if you guys turn to Daniel 9 and chapter 9, we, we have, um, this amazing prayer, uh, prayer of confession and repentance that Daniel is offering up, not only on behalf of his own sin, but on behalf of the sins of the people. And we talked about how this is a Christ-like attitude to stand amongst us and to cry out on behalf of humanity, calling himself son of man. We made some amazing connections with that last week. But as I was reading this text, as we're only going to go down through verse 19 this week and finish this prayer, the, th- the following thought came to mind. Is it possible that my expectations of God and your expectations of God at times can be skewed by our viewing his love through our own limitations? I think it's very possible. And let me, let me ask that question again just so we think about it a bit more. Is it possible that we... Our expectations of God at times can skew our view of his love because we're viewing it through our own limitations. I can't imagine God loving me when he knows I've thought this thing or that or done this or that. Therefore, based on the limits of my finite self, I reduce God's ability to my own. And I thus make him like me. And I thus have just become an idolater. It's interesting how quickly that can digress. And we don't think about it that often because we're like, well, I'm just thinking about how in the world could he love me? Yes, but in that thought, you deny the fact that God says, I love you. You not only deny that, you deny the power that lay within it, and you're denying God the ability to love you even through your failure, even through your sin. You deny him the ability to be faithful. And here's the thing. You're not actually changing his power one bit, but you are affecting its impact on your life. Because you are limiting his ability through idolatry of self. You guys, dangerous waters to wade into when we limit God to our own ability. And is that not the struggle that we experience often? We're limiting God to our own ability. Well, God's not going to be able to do this. Why? Because you can't? Because I can't? I couldn't possibly think of a way out of this. Therefore, there's no way out of this. You just limited God to finite means when he is infinite. In those waters, we submerge ourselves deeper into a variety of temptations, some of which are self-worth, which can go in either direction, having too much or having too little. Some people have way too much self-worth. Some have too little self-worth. There's a balance there. That can be a temptation. Self-preservation, protecting myself at all costs. Doesn't matter what happens to people around me. Self-exaltation is another temptation that comes when we get into these waters of limiting God's ability to my own. And in self-exaltation, I begin to live like God is as limited as I am. And what I start to do is have a warped view of God's higher purpose. I start to have a warped view of what he desires to do and what he says that he will do in his word. We're not here on this earth, church, to satisfy the longings of our finite existence. 
We are not here to satisfy the longings of our finite existence. We are here to live in light of eternity, which means our goal is that God would be glorified in every aspect of our lives. Failure, success, pain, pleasure, every single thing that we experience, we desire God to be glorified through. That is living in the light of eternity. And that's living in the light of his truth. And the glorification of God is exactly what Daniel desires and focuses on here in Daniel 9. A passage very often gone through too quickly. Because here Daniel is putting our eyes on God's ability, who should receive glory. And and we're going to see in this text something powerful, I believe, as we see Daniel not longing for the people to be exonerated, for the people just to be restored. His goal in this prayer is that God would be glorified through this restoration. And he's appealing to God, saying, would you be glorified? Would you make your name great by doing this for us? And he recognizes that things had to happen first, and he he started this prayer off with repentance, with confession and repentance saying, we have failed. He'll continue that thought process here in verse 11. So let's pick up where we left off. Daniel 9, verse 11. We'll read down through verse 14 to begin. All Israel, he says, has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He's carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind. And brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. God had warned the nations of Judah and Israel, as we know the kingdom had split for quite a while. And over and again, he warned them of what would happen. Should they remain unrepentant? Should they continue to serve the false idols, continue in their sin? And God waited generation after generation after generation, but he was just storing it up. He was storing up that wrath, but he was giving them all this extra time, all this time to repent and to turn to him. He warned them in the law. And then as the prophets continued to come one right after another, they would cry out and say, would you just listen? Would you just listen to what God is saying? We see this reiterated in second Kings chapter 17 verses 12 through 13. When the Northern kingdom of Israel fell, Judah was still existing, but the Northern kingdom fell to Assyria. And verse 12 of first Kings or second Kings 17 says they served idols, although the Lord had told them you must not do this. Still, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law. I commanded you, your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. He says, I warned you over and again. Isn't it crazy how stubborn We are. And as Daniel puts himself with the nation of Israel, I'll put us right in there with them as well. We are so stubborn when God says, stop, stop. Would you stop? Stop it. Stop. This is going to ruin you. Stop. You know, he feels like that parent that's like, you know, like the kid just keeps asking, like, stop, 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 stop. But it's so like, okay, this is going to end eventually with what? Well, if you grew up in my house, pain. It's going to end with it. Well, if you grew up in God's house, that's what it ended up with. It ended up in pain. It ended up in punishment and discipline. Why? Because God loves his people 
and God is just and God is righteous and he's not going to leave these things undealt with. Now, repentance, he will forgive. But if we continue on in our ways, he's made it clear. Discipline and punishment are part of him loving us. He says, Jesus said in Revelation 3, we read it last week. He says, I love the ones I discipline. I love the ones that I rebuke. If God didn't care, he'd let us just run off. You know, it's like a parent that lets their kid play in the road. You know, if you didn't love your kid, you just, oh, I want them to be free. I want them to have all the fun they possibly. I hope they had a good time. You know, no, that's bad parenting. You're like, well, I did it wrong. No, you're doing it right. You stopped your kid. You rebuked them. You warned them. Maybe you even spanked them. (gasps) I'm not trying to get into a whole thing there. I'm just saying. In Daniel, in verse 11 of chapter 9, he says, The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Did you notice that? God promised them that there would be a penalty for their sin. This isn't like, oh, why is he doing this? What if, what could we have done? He, it's all over his word that there's going to be a punishment, a consequence. And just as the Lord had forewarned them, Deuteronomy 28, 29, you can read it all there. He carried out the punishment for idolatry that he said he would. And recognition of the cause of the curse is key here. Recognition of the cause. Again, as we talked about last week, Daniel speaks from amongst the people, not apart from them, using the plural we. We are in this situation, exile, because we've sinned against God. We're here of our own doing. Would they be in exile if they'd obeyed God? No, they would not. In fact, if you read 1 Kings chapter 8, it says that the reason they're going to get taken away is that they turn from God. And it says, when you do, turn back, cry out to him. You wonder why Daniel's doing what he's doing? It's because that's exactly what Solomon prayed over the temple when he dedicated it. He says, when your people, in 1 Kings chapter 8, he says, when your people don't listen to you, go out and fight against another army and get taken into a foreign land and are held there captive, if they would look back to this temple, to the city that bears your name, and cry out to you and repent of their sin, would you restore them back to their homeland? That's why Daniel is right where he is. That, and he was reading the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 25 that said 70 years will elapse and then you get to come back. 70 years and I will break the back of the nation that has taken you and exiled you. And so here in verse 12 of chapter 9, he continues, and Daniel says, he has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that was so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. It's pretty, uh, sorry, not to use the word that's like the hot word, but it's unprecedented. You know, like these unprecedented times. I don't know. I think that's making more of it than we should. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth paying attention to the truth of God. Christians, we must never grow lax on this. Pay close attention to the truth of God. Why? Because your salvation depends on it? No, our salvation is is in Christ. We are saved by by placing our faith in him. You're justified by faith in, in through, you know, 
We know these things. We're justified by faith in Christ alone. It's not by works lest any of us should boast. None of us should be boasting about working our way to heaven. But paying attention to the truth of God is going to do what? Ensure our obedience. Paying attention to that truth and, and not just staring at it, but doing what it says, as James would say in James one twenty two. but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you don't, you're deceiving yourself, Right? So if we obey what it says, then we are going to be living out an obedient life and thereby being like Christ himself. God is always faithful. We like to hear that, don't we? I mean, who doesn't like to hear that? (laughs) Up until this morning. When I say God is always faithful, what do you hear? God is always faithful to love me, give me mercy, grace. You're leaving out some aspects of God. He is also righteous and he will be faithful to be righteous, just, holy, true. All of those things culminate in God. We can't leave. And I'm not saying to leave out the grace, the mercy, the compassion, love it, but they're all together in one. Okay. And what that means is, is when I say God is always faithful in all things, That means that I'm also claiming the faithfulness of God to discipline me in my sin. I am also recognizing that as a scriptural teaching, as a biblical truth. God is faithful to punish me and to discipline me for my sin. You're like, oh, that's OT, Mike. You are so out of line. Read Hebrews 12. (laughs) Read Hebrews 12. It's all about the good father disciplining the sons that he loves and daughters. He disciplines his kids. Because he loves us. Jesus talking to the church. I already said that. Revelation chapter three. You guys, it's funny because we like to say that in reference to getting us through our sticky situations. God is just going to be faithful. Right? God's going to be faithful. I'm like, yeah, he is. And he may be loading up the belt. Are we thinking about that aspect of God? Are we looking at our lives in that? Because just as much as he's compassionate, he's going to discipline when I need it. And yo, It hurts. It hurts to be disciplined by God, but we need it so desperately. And do we come in the way that Daniel has come to God and pray and say, we recognize that we deserved it. We had this coming. American Christians, why would we be exempt? Why would we be exempt from the punishment of God? And you're like, but we're his church. (laughs) Oh, boy. Peter talks about that. He says, when you suffer, make sure it's not because you're a murderer, you're a thief, you're all these things, right? He says, make sure that that's not why you're suffering. But when you suffer for Christ's sake, rejoice. You're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got saved so I didn't have to suffer so that everything would be okay. You terribly misunderstand the gospel. You terribly misunderstand. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Well, it's a bad thing to misunderstand. It's not a bad thing that that you can look at this and be like, I didn't understand. It's okay. Let's get this clear. Let's get this doctrine really clear. Because it's going to help you understand why you're going through what you're going through. If you think that God owes you sunshine and lollipops all the time, your life will be a giant disappointment. But if you understand that he refines us in the fire... 
that he purifies us when we go through trials. You see hope. And that's why you can do what James says in chapter one. He says, count it all joy. When you go through various trials, you know that the testing of your faith is producing steadfastness. He said, let it have its full effect. Lean into it. And most people are like, oh, suffering. No, he's like, no, lean in hard. He's like, because it's going to produce fruit in your life. God's just pruning the tree. John 15 for more on that. You guys, Daniel is bringing to the forefront here God's faithfulness, and he's talking about how it applies not just to his grace and his compassion, which he's going to get to, but how it applies to his discipline, how it applies to his truth all around. He has carried out his words just as it is written. And again in verse 14, for the Lord God is righteous in all he has done. God is righteous to have sent us into exile. By the way, if you ever wonder what it's like for the instruction manual on life in exile, Jeremiah 29. And that's where we get Jeremiah 29, 11. He's giving them a future and a hope, but in, in that passage, by the way, that's for the Israelites. God has given us promises. That was for Israel. And not only that, but if you read that passage in context, when it says that I know the thoughts that I have for you, the plans that I have for you, do you know what he said right before then? Get married, settle down, live life in exile. In Babylon, he goes, do what I created you to do there. Church... We want God to bless us so badly, but sometimes we have this escapism complex. I don't, I shouldn't be here because it hurts. And so God just, you know, and, and Hey, I'm all about rapture airlines. I have a first class ticket, but here's the thing. That's an old joke, by the way, that's been around a long time. Isaac air freight. You guys remember them? Yeah. Anyway. So you guys, I'm all about wanting the Lord to take me. I want to be with him forever, but you realize that escapism creates a lot of problems in our lives. He has placed us here for a purpose and for a reason. If we're constantly looking up and not paying attention to what we're doing, we're supposed to keep an eye on the sky. That's fine. Your redemption draws nigh. But but we are also supposed to apply, supposed, I don't even know how to talk anymore. We're supposed to, it's like support and purpose and it turns into porpoise. If you, if you guys think about this, we are here to focus on the work that he's given us to do and doing that in a kingdom lifestyle. In a godly way. God is not in the wrong. Okay? I know that's duh, but please hear that in every aspect of your life. God is not in the wrong. God is never in the wrong. He's never in the wrong. And if you're like, I can't, I'm looking around at my life, I cannot see a way that I've done this outside of your will, Lord. Then you're right where you should be. And if that disappoints you, James chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, marinate in those texts for a while. God will encourage you through them. Israel had enjoyed the blessings when they obeyed. And from Daniel's perspective, why should they complain when they experienced the great suffering due to disobedience? He's like, you enjoyed all the blessing of the land. And now you're getting the consequences of your sin. Why do you not accept that? Why would you not accept that as well? He is. As I mentioned earlier, earlier Peter gives us a further perspective on, on the subject of suffering in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19, as he describes suffering for Christ's sake. 
Suffering for Christ's sake, while we are challenged not to suffer for sinful reasons, we're encouraged to see the faithfulness of God in its expanse and application to us in suffering for his namesake. Suffering for the namesake of the Lord. He will continue to be faithful even when we're suffering for the name of Jesus. I would say especially when we suffer for the name of Jesus. And maturity is being able to see the consistency of God in all circumstances, not just the good. That we see the consistency and the steadfastness and the the truth of his character even in the hardships. Because I don't know about you guys, it's really hard to have a clear perspective in hardship. It's really hard to have a clear perspective when you have an exile mindset and God says, live as my people in that place. Don't become like them. Live as my people there. With confession and repentance made, now Daniel gets to the part that we would, will enjoy more. Now that I've made it hard on you and myself, now they made it hard on us because that's difficult. Now we get to the part that's better because now Daniel turns. He turns and it's like he's saying, Let's get to the part about what I'm asking you to do after recognizing all this. I think that it's an important sequence, by the way. The repentance, the confession, the attitude of God is always just. He's always in the right. Lord, this is what we desire for you to do. I believe we'd be much more effective in our prayer lives if we began with confession and repentance always. Coming to the Lord, expressing those things, expressing thankfulness, as Paul talks about all throughout Colossians. Are you exploding in thankfulness to God for what he's doing? Now, Lord, we desire to do this. Synchronize our heart with yours. He says this in verse 15. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt. By the way, have you noticed he's mentioned Moses, land of Egypt, all these things? He's recalling, not because God has forgotten. He's saying, totally recognize what you are able to do. If God can bring them out of Egypt, he can bring them out of Babylon. Do you see the slavery connection there? the enslavement to a foreign, pagan, idolatrous nation. And he says, if you did it in Egypt, you can get us home from Babylon. Who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day. We have sinned. Notice this. I don't mean to like stop every couple seconds, but you realize that like when he says, you have made your, your name renowned as it is this day, nothing about the name of God has changed. Nothing about the name of God has changed. His people have just misrepresented it. They have just smeared it. Church, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, take heed lest you fall. In that moment as we're like, yeah, those Israelites just running the Lord's name through the mud, we are capable of the very same thing. We are very capable of that. Don't think of yourself above it. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. We have sinned, he says at the end of verse 15 here in Daniel 9. We have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. It's such an important lesson for us to learn. God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve. And God in his mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. Slight play on words, but it's important. God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve. And God in his mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. It's never a bad idea when you have confessed and repented to cry out for God to show mercy on you. 
to have compassion. That is the first thing that we ought to do after realizing what we've done and repenting of that to the Lord. Now, Lord, have mercy on me. That's what David did. He recognized his sin with Bathsheba. He recognized what he'd done. He says, but Lord, have mercy on me. Have compassion on me. And God heard him. God heard him. He'd had a man murdered. And God listened to his cry. Now, was there consequences he was going to write out? The rest of his life. In fact, the rest of his kingship was severely marred and pretty miserable in many ways. Murder and betrayal followed him at every turn because he had not obeyed God. Daniel admits that their sin has caused the situation that they're in, but he remembers God promised to forgive if his people would repent and confess their sins. And that's the connection to 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 44 through 49, where he says, if your people who are in exile will turn home, repent of their sin and cry out for you, you, you will restore them back home again. And he says, we have recognized we're in the wrong. You are always right. You are always righteous. Your name is still just as pure and as holy as it has ever been. And we were in the wrong. Would you save us from this situation? This may become the cry of the church in future decades. We recognize in many ways that we stood by. We recognize that we didn't stop things when they should have been stopped. I hope that's not the story of this church. I hope that's not the story that that we see God lead us on, that we would not fail in this way. But there are a great many churches that are failing the gospel of Jesus Christ right now that have thousands attending, thousands and thousands of people there to feel good about themselves and willing to do nothing about their sin willing to do nothing in the area of repentance and confession. It's all about feeling good about who you are. You are a wretch, and so am I. And we are nothing without Jesus. Isn't that what he said in John 15? Apart from me, you can do what? A little bit. Not a thing. The faithfulness of God in discipline is also revealed in the ways that we long for when we see his faithfulness to show mercy and grace and bring restoration when that repentance takes place. The sin of Israel has given nations around them the opportunity to ridicule them. But it's not the reversal of the ridicule of the people that Daniel desires. Did you, You're going to see that. I was going to say, did you notice that? But we haven't actually read it yet. I have. I cheated. But if you guys, if you guys think about this, he's not saying, now make a great name of Israel again. Remove us, you know, raise us up from the ashes and let people say, now there's a nation. There's power, right? It's not what he asked for. Look at verse 17. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. For your own namesake, listen closely, verse 18, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Amen. We are not basing this request on our goodness and on our holiness and on our righteousness. This is based on who you are and who we know you to be. We are broken. You are holy. Would you look upon us with favor again? I I can't help it. I want to yell this, but it'd probably scare everyone. My wife hates it when I yell. Verse 19. (laughs) I'm a big Mandalorian fan. 
Um, and before each each episode starts, I yell really loudly, and the whole room for, like just will jump. My dogs jump out of their beds, and everyone screams. And this last time, I think you hit me about forty eight times in a row for screaming like this: bam, 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 bam. But verse 19, it's all exclamation points. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. Can't you see like Daniel just imploring God? There's so much emphasis in these statements. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Restore us so that your name would be restored. Receive the glory that you deserve through us from the beginning. You called us to be a light to the nations around us and we failed you. Take us back. Give us another chance. Let your name be pure and holy and held on high forever. I think a lot about reputation and character. I think we should. I think it's important that we understand that our reputation and our character is free of accusation. As as we brought the elders up here, one of the aspects, one of the qualifications of being an elder, according to Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, is that they be blameless. That they be blameless. And so we want to be held in a reputation that's good. And it's not because that's all about us. It's because we represent the name. Because we bear the name of our Savior. And D.L. Moody once said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. If I take care of my character, my reputation will work its way outward. And you know what? That means that Some people will think highly of you and some people won't be able to stand you. But if you're looking after your character in Christ, that will settle itself. It's just like John Quincy Adams says, duty is ours and results are God's. We have a job to do. We do what we're here to do and we let the results fall where they may. I tell you what, there's a lot of freedom there if we can get ourselves to that kind of place in our lives. Am I centered in the truth that I'm here to do what God has asked me to do and that that obedience is enough. That the results will be in his hands. And seeing the beauty of that, that God will do things that I can't even expect beyond what I could ask or think through that, that obedience. Maybe when I'm gone. Maybe I won't even be here anymore. But there is so much more at stake than the nation of Israel's reputation. And for us, church, the same is true. There's so much more at stake here than the reputation of the of the the nation. They represented the character and the reputation of God, and so too we represent the character and nature of Christ as his church. We show the world what he looks like. We show the world what he acts like, what he thinks like. It's a lot of responsibility. It's too bad he didn't leave us like Holy Spirit to like live inside of us and give us this ability. It's a real bummer that we're here as orphans, huh? That's a bummer. We can't misunderstand. By the way, if someone's watching this on YouTube, I'm joking. That's sarcasm. We can't misunderstand the ultimate goal of our repentance. It's not about us. It's about God receiving glory. Daniel implores God to restore his people for the glory of his name, not the glory of the people. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. The psalmist agrees in Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. To you, God, and not to us. I love how he says it twice, the double emphasis. Not to us, Lord, not to us. It's you. You know, it's like the verily, verily. It's this double emphasis, like absolutely without any shadow of a doubt, do not let us receive any glory. You receive it all. 
and because it's for his glory and not ours, and because it's not based on our abilities, but rather on his, then we can be truly honest about our righteousness, as Daniel is in verse 18. In the second half where he says, for we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. We're asking because you're good. We're asking because, God, you are compassionate. This is not performance-driven. This is about the name of God being glorified and the people who are created in his image submitting to that. Now, are you ready for a bad word in our culture? Submission. That's right. I said the S word in church. I know. Submit, submission, submissive. Ooh, in our culture, hot words. Like, don't you bring that submission garbage up in here to me. Submission in our culture is not a word that holds a lot of value. And from what I've seen, it's a word that brings a lot of negative perception with it. It's seen negatively. Church has to own some of that responsibility. I fully believe the church has to own part of that because of the way that it's been thrown around and used against people. But biblically speaking, we can be very, very clear on this. Submission to the Father was fully embraced by Jesus. So submission is good in the right context. Can we agree to that? I think so. He was our example to follow. And that's the recognition of us as his people. Now, Jesus, if he submitted to the Father and he was perfect and holy and righteous, then how much more ought we to submit How much more should we submit to what God has called us to, to his truth, to his discipline, to his compassion? We have no righteousness of our own. As Paul spoke of in Philippians 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 9, he said, Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. He says, my righteousness comes from God. The only reason I can be said to be righteous is because of what he did through Jesus on my behalf. We cry out to God because he is compassionate, because we place our trust in his goodness and his mercy. And this is where we'll leave Daniel for one more week. Right here at this juncture, we're going to leave Daniel here in this place. And if you if you sneak a peek with me at verse 20, he says, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, I'm going to leave it there. That's where he's at. He's on his knees. He's on his knees. And notice he's very specific. He was confessing his sin and the sin of the people. Again, taking that representative place that we see Jesus take, son of man standing with us instead of apart from us. And we're right here on the cusp. I love leaving you guys at a cliffhanger right at the edge. You're like, but Mike, that's the good part. Gabriel's coming. But like you guys, you got to wait one more week. But what's cool is that we're going to talk about Gabriel next Sunday in the context of Daniel. And then on Christmas Eve that Thursday, we're going to talk about Gabriel again in a whole different context. Because not only is Gabriel going to say someone's coming, Gabriel's going to be there saying someone is here. Yeah, baby. Oh, what a moment. What a moment to say God is coming and he'll be cut off. In other words, he's going to die for the sins of the world. But then to show up, I'm trying, Alan. He's going to show up and he's going to, he's going to tell Mary, this is, this is the Holy Spirit. 
This is the Holy Spirit. God is in you. God is so faithful. Can we see him as righteous in the discipline? Can we see him as righteous in the rebuke? Can we see him as righteous in the compassion? Can we see him as righteous when he came? And when he came, knowing that he deserved a crown, knowing that he deserved a kingdom and was laid in an animal feeding trough. He deserved glory. And they just had a little worship party in the barn instead. And I think the angels sang their lungs out that night as they got the attention of the shepherds in the fields. But Jesus was underwhelmed in praise throughout his incarnation because it wasn't time for that. Because he came to die. And he was going to live to die. And can we see that this foreshadow, this picture of of that coming here in Daniel, that all of this is just a reminder to us that, that Jesus is at the core of all of this. Jesus is at the center of our salvation. Jesus is at the center of love for us. He's at the center of our care and our cleansing, that he's right there in the middle of all of this. It's all about him. This chapter is about Jesus. When we talk about confession and repentance, we recognize that that is made powerful because the the price for our sin has been paid. And it was nailed to him on the cross. And we stand looking back at it. Daniel stood in his place and is going to look forward as Gabriel talks about what's coming. And a lot of people want to focus on what happens afterwards. But seeing Jesus in the scriptures is the goal. You can have a really good grasp of eschatology, but if you can't grasp Jesus in the center, the whole thing comes apart. It's Jesus at the center. Jesus before me. Jesus behind me. Jesus above me. Jesus beneath me. Jesus to my right. Jesus to my left. Jesus inside of me. Jesus outside of me. It's Jesus everywhere. If we can wrap our minds around that, he's going to use us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your truth. Lord, that as I sarcastically implied, because I I think we all grasp this, we have not been left here as orphans. You did not abandon us. It was better, just as you said, that you go. Because there was a task that you had to submit to. I think of you when you prayed in the garden, Lord, as you you asked for the cup to to be taken. And yet you finished that statement with not what I want, but what you want. The ultimate picture of submission. And so, God, our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would soften the soil of our hearts to receive that word. For me, Lord, that I would... Look at the things that I desire, but Lord, I would recognize that your truth is what needs to be honored, that your will and your desire is what needs to happen. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room. And as we sing and as we praise, would you pull us close? 
Lord, your rebuke is not in anger. It's in love. Your correction is because you care. And so, Lord, as we recognize we've sinned, we've fallen short. We want to confess our sin to you, God, that we have not been who we should be. And we thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from that unrighteousness. Restore us back to where we should be as Daniel longed to go home. Lord, maybe we've wandered from you. Maybe our fellowship hasn't been so good. Maybe our sin has separated us and we haven't heard you clearly for a while. Lord, we're sorry. Thank you for forgiving.